This week's podcast is dedicated to the memory of Chadwick Boseman. Ed from VinylAlbumCovers.com. With me, as always, is Dre. And um, before we get into our topic for the day, I guess it, it should be noted that we're recording this uh, just a little bit after six, uh, six my time, uh, five Dre's on, uh, on Saturday. And um, the day before, as you already know, something truly awful happened, and it's kind of an elephant in the room. So... Um, we're going to go ahead and address it a little bit. Chadwick Boseman, um, absolutely incredible actor, um, who's been in several big movies up to and including the cultural event, Black Panther, which is really what that was. That was no mere movie. Um, he passed away at the age of 43. Uh, scarier still is the fact that he was diagnosed with colon cancer four years prior. And so all the stuff that we got from him that we, not all of it, but almost all of the stuff that we yeah. got from him that we're familiar with, um, that happened while he was in treatment and getting chemo and um, surgery and, and, and all that. That just, just blows my mind. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Dre. Like what, what kind of, what were, what were some of your thoughts? Was, was I the one that told you or had you heard before? I had, I had heard before you had um, messaged me on Facebook. Um, okay. It, it, it's so... I was shocked, but then I wasn't shocked when I saw the news because I remember a couple months prior to that, me and uh, Chantel, my fiance, we were, we had these movie nights that we do where we just chill and watch, you know, like movies on Netflix or whatever we can find or Hulu or we just rent something, Redbox it. And uh, we came across a movie called 21 Bridges. Um, mm -hmm. Really good, really good movie. Um, he's, a, he's a cop and he uncovers that there's like a inside job or the cops um, actually staged something and he's, you know, trying to bring the bad cops down. And, you know, we both noticed in that movie that he was noticeably, you know, lighter, you know, he was, you know, thinner. And, um, you know, we both were like, you know, I wonder if he's on some kind of new diet or, or you know, how people go on these different types of, you know, diets and things like that. And, uh, you know, and then I remember prior to 21 Bridges, I saw him, he was on an episode of, um, NBA, um, you know, in, in TNT, you know, he was on the um, the pregame show with Charles Barkley and, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and Ernie Kenny Smith. Mm. And um, I think it was right around the All-Star weekend of 2019, I believe. And uh, he was slim there, too. And that was, that was probably the first time that I noticed that. And I was like, oh, okay. So maybe he bulks up for those other roles or whatever, like Black Panther and Message from McKean. And maybe that's, maybe that's just how he walks around. That's his weight that he walks around it. And, you know, because you know how sometimes actors and actresses, they bulk up for roles or they slim down, you know. Sure. So the first time I didn't think nothing of it. And then when I saw him on Twin on Bridges, I was like, it's kind of weird. Like, he just, something just didn't look right. And then I saw him a couple more times after that. And then it was just like, I wonder if there's something wrong with him. But, you know, there was no information on that. You know, he had never announced he had cancer, you know, nothing. And, um... You know, because, you know, you see him in Black Panther, he looked like a stout dude. He looked, you know, pretty, you know, like a solid dude. And then, you know, seeing him after that, it was just kind of, was just kind of weird. And then when I, when I saw the news on Facebook, he had cancer. It's like, oh, like, wow. Like, I was shocked, but then I was like, it, it makes sense. But it was still very heartbreaking because he was at the very peak of his career. You know, he had gave us, you know, Black Panther. And then um, 
prior to that, you know, he, Jackie Robinson, he played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42 that came out, you know, seven years ago. And then he was in another movie called Message from a King, which was a really, really good Netflix movie. I'm not sure if you've seen that or not. I haven't uh, seen it, no. Good movie. You should check it out. It came out, I think, in 2016. So I guess right around the time that he was diagnosed or maybe prior to that, a little bit prior. And then um, he played James Brown, did a really good job in James Brown, like, uh, in all the movie. And then, you know, obviously he was slated to be, you know, film Black Panther 2 and Black Panther 3. And now, you know, that's pretty much, you know, up in the air. Or I don't know what's going to happen with that. But yeah, it's, it's just very disheartening. You know, um, he was a protege of Denzel Washington. Denzel sent him to acting school, never told him that he was fronting the bill. Um, but he sent them, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you know that story. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and so it's just it's just very disheartening, man, because he was just a really really good actor. He was able, he very versatile. He could take on many many roles. Um, played a lot of historical figures and did really well. And he had so much more to offer. I mean, the guy was only 43, um, and just you know an amazing resume. And um, you know it's unfortunate he's no longer with us, you know, because he was he was an exceptional actor, you know. He really was. And on top of that, too, it's like he wasn't. I remember, um, you remember Patrick Swayze, um, yeah. who had, he, he passed away from cancer as well, although his was pancreatic. Yeah. Um, but there's quite a difference between the two actors in the sense that, like, Patrick Swayze made films that were almost purely meant to entertain. There wasn't much, mm -hmm. th there was no shade, but there really wasn't too much depth going on there. Right. Like, you know, your ghosts and your dirty dancings and your uh, point breaks or whatever, uh, yeah. Wong Fu. Like, these movies were essentially intended to entertain and nothing else. Mm -hmm. It always seemed like Bozeman was trying to do more. Yeah. It wasn't just acting for acting's sake or he wasn't just choosing roles because they were entertaining. It seemed as if he was trying to do more. He was trying to... He was really trying to not only leave something behind, but try to make sure that the roles that he picked actually meant something rather than just as, as entertainment. So I always really appreciated that. Very, very spot on. And then two, it's just, um, you know, to your, to your point about, you know, kind of noticing it, um, you know, noticing when things are beginning to go downhill. I'm not going to pretend that I did. I, I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, you know, as, as human beings, I think a lot of times we just kind of dismiss things. Yeah. Um, we fool ourselves. I remember I did that with my mother prior to her passing. She, she had, something was wrong with her and I, I never did find out what. But I, I remember actively dismissing it and yeah. thinking, Ed, you watch too much TV, knock it off. He's, she's fine. And I was right and, she, and I was wrong and she wasn't. Like all yeah. of a sudden she wasn't fine. I walked into her bedroom and she wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, so it can, we, can, we can do that to ourselves. And I, I, think, I think a lot of us probably did that with him too. You know, that we just, didn't, we just didn't do the math because we didn't think there was any math worth doing, you know. Yeah. But it's like you look at the pictures after the fact and it's like, how did I miss this? You know what I mean? Like he so clearly had cancer eyes. Yeah. Look at the, the pictures that have been circulating, circulating around lately are the ones with kind of like the scraggly beard in order to make his face look bigger mm -hmm. uh, and the hat um, and the polo shirt. Like you look at those pictures and it's like, how did we miss this? Yeah. How do you, like what? I mean, his eyes just, his eyes were, you know what cancer eyes look like. like yeah, just, oh yeah. They just poke out. 
parts of them are sunken in, but they just kind of poke out a bit. Yeah. And there's really very little life left in them. And you look at that, it's like, how did we not see this? It's so obvious now. It's just so completely obvious. And, and you know, never mind the fact that he kept it to himself. He had every right to do that. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've got something like that going on, it is your business. If you want to reveal it or not, you don't have to. And he didn't have to either. Um, but it's because he didn't say anything. It was, I remembered seeing it last night when I was on the way to bed. I just happened to get on Twitter and went, why is everybody talking about him now? Right. And then, you know, within just a few short moments, I found out and it just completely took me by shock. I was just completely off balance and had trouble getting to sleep last night over it. It was just, you've got to be kidding me. He's only 43. Yeah. And had been dealing with this thing for, as we said earlier, been dealing with this thing for four years and had shot movies through it. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you can't, like, if you're sick, you're not getting out of bed. Not only did he get out of bed, dude lived, like, really lived in the middle of chemotherapy, in the middle of radiation, in the middle of surgeries. Like, he lived. He really lived. And it's like now all of a sudden, like the way he put himself across and the projects that he chose, like all that stuff I spoke of earlier, all of a sudden mm-hmm. it all makes so much sense. Yeah. Because he knew he, he was on the clock. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a very, it's very heroic of him to do, to do those things, you know, to kind of lay a foundation, lay a blueprint down for, you know, other young aspiring actors, you know, especially you know, African-American actors, you know, you know, to follow suit, like, hey, you know, this is what you can do. This is what you can accomplish. You know, you don't have to take on these ignorant roles and, and, and you know, various, you know, you know, how you see some movies and you're just like, like, why? You know what I mean? And yeah. he never subject himself to that. And, you know, for that, I'm very proud of him. And, uh, just, you know, there's, there's, you know, we always talk about like heroes and, and people like that, but he, he really put them, he really put himself out there and he really presented himself, you know, as a, as a stand-up dude, because he was a stand-up dude, you know, and, uh, you know, he very intelligent. He always, like you said, he chose specific roles. Um, kind of similar to what I, you know, brought up earlier with Denzel Washington. The same thing. You know, he very selective in his roles, and you know, he wanted to make sure, you know, that, you know, that people saw him, you know, playing these intelligent, you know, these intelligent roles. Like, hey, you can do this too. You don't have to be in movies like Soul Plane or you know, just you know, movies that don't really mean anything. You know, you can do, yeah. you, can, you can be an actor and and you know you can really push the genre forward and you can convey a message to to people you know to see you on screen and be like hey you know i can be that too one day you know and i think he did that really well and like you said black panther was more than just a movie you know obviously we know the story behind it and what it meant you know for so many different reasons and uh you know he just just exceptional you know lead by example and uh yeah it's, it's unfortunate man like i still get choked up just talking about it it's it's really sad yeah, it is. It's it's been a very very weird day for yeah. probably for a lot of us, but and and for you obviously, but really yeah. even even for me. I mean, I'm obviously not a person of color, but yeah. you know, it's you'd ha- you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind to not understand the ramifications of Black Panther and what Black Panther actually meant. Right. Um, and it doesn't exist without number one without Ryan Coogler, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't exist without Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, he was made for that role. He really was. And I mean, he was more, he was so much more than an actor. Like, I mean, if you've looked on, on Twitter today, my Twitter mentions have just been flooded quite justifiably 
um, with 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 talk of, of Chadwick Boseman, and he's just he he had become in the moment that that movie was released, he became a hero to everybody of color. Yeah, and, and I also remember he did an yeah he he did an appearance on the Breakfast the Breakfast Club, maybe a couple months after Black Panther was released, you know, um, and he was on there he was talking to Charlemagne and you know DJ Envy and all them, and yeah. uh, he was promoting um, AfricanAncestry.com. And you know, kind of putting over the importance of you know, you know, black people going out there and getting you know DNA tests, you know, seeing where they're from, you know, so they can have a better understanding of their of their history, you know, and um, just just things like that that just really stood out with me, you know, that he was always promoting things like that. Yeah, yeah, he was never just he was never just an actor. He right. he became far bigger than just your garden variety actor, and did so unusually quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it started. Like I said, um, I had seen him a couple times prior to 2013, but it was with Jackie Robinson. That's when it really, that's when he really caught my attention. And then he did James Brown, like immediately afterwards. Just like two completely different roles that have nothing to do yeah. with each other in any way. Exactly. And both he made both of them fly. That's how good he was. Exactly. Ain't many actors that have that kind of range that can that are capable, I mean, think it's ridiculous. On one hand, you've got James Brown, on the other, you have Jackie Robinson. And, and then he played Thurgood Marshall in the movie. I forgot about that as well. That's right, he did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just ridiculously talented individual. Yeah. And, and he just, started too, I mean, this was just the beginning. Yeah, it really was, but it's, it's just, I think what's, what's, what's bothering me most is that he did most of those things knowing he was on the clock. Yeah. And probably, probably in pain through some of it, if not mm -hmm. most of it. Yeah. Colon cancer is not an easy one. Pancreatic cancer is absolutely evil, but colon's yeah. not easy either. Yeah. Um, and he was shooting movies through that. I mean, we saw what he looked like in Black Panther and how jacked he was for it. Yeah, he looked like a million bucks. Like, he looked amazing. And he wasn't. Yeah, and that was like two years who, who knew? Like, yeah. It's just, that's, it's just, it's just, it's it, probably one of the most inspirational things I think I've ever seen just as a human being to see yeah. somebody put themselves through that because he understood, and Ryan Coogler did too, for that matter, understood the cultural impact of what they were doing. People yeah. of color were finally getting something that you should have gotten decades ago. People of yeah. color were getting a real honest to goodness superhero. Yeah. And he knew what this meant and how heavy it was. Yeah. And he just took he just took it on and just made it fly. Yeah. And that will never ever be forgotten no matter what happens. That can never be forgotten. Black Panther is an instant classic. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you. For what it's done for not only what it's done for people of color but what it's done for all of us just yeah. watching watching that kind of thing and and seeing what the whole thing represents. It's just even just as a as a as a Caucasian male it's it was it it's inspirational and so was he i agree i definitely agree with you and we're really gonna miss him i hate that we don't get to see what's next apparently there is one more in the can okay that's good so we've got another one coming but after that that's kind of it and that yeah. really sucks yeah so yeah um condolences to everybody that loved him condolences to his entire family of course and uh we are clearly feeling it um but um but okay, let's, um, let's, let's, let's have a little fun here. So Dre and I talked about a couple of topics that we could do. And, um, 
we have been so deadly serious up until this point. And we're not going to be so serious this time. Because I had this idea in the middle of the week about artists who basically bit off of other artists in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why it came, no, I do know why it came to me because I was <laughs> listening to one of the artists. I know exactly why it happened. And I'll explain more about that later. But right. I'm going to be charitable and I'm going to let you start and then I'll come in after you. Do you have one? All right. Yeah, so you brought this up uh, um, prior to prior to what's going on because I had a different topic in mind. I thought we were going with that, but... Uh, like 10 minutes, but no, yeah. no, like almost a half an hour before. So he's doing this with very little warning. Just yeah. Putting that so, one of the first artists that came to mind, uh, she's pretty recent, you know, she's, you know, she's been out for a little bit, but she's, you know, obviously she's not too, too old, you know, this generation obviously knows her. I think you know where I'm getting at. Yeah. Sierra. Sierra. Uh, oh, I didn't know you were going to do Sierra. I was thinking you were going to do someone else. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Sierra, obviously, I mean, the minute I heard her, I think it was uh, uh, One Two Step, I forgot, the, I can't think of the name of the song off the top of my head, and then Goodies. Yeah, oh, goodies, definitely. I'm thinking, that's Aaliyah. Yeah, it is. That's clearly Aaliyah. Yes, you know is. what I mean? So Missy is. Elliott's there, and she's on the track, too, and I'm just like, this is literally, this is literally like they're, like, the two, like they're going for the 2000s version of, of Sierra, you know, the, the, the dancing and, and, and the choreo, all that stuff. That, that's completely Aaliyah, you know? Yep, agreed. It took me a while to really kind of warm up the Sierra because of that, you know, because I'm just like, she's not Aaliyah. Like, you not know, at all. You know how when you, like, you, you remember somebody so vividly and then somebody else comes along and they're doing the exact same thing. You're just kind of like, it's, it's kind of like in sports, like when, you know, Jordan came along and he revolutionized the game. You know, he had to be like Mike commercials and all that stuff. And then yeah. Bryant and a lot of people are looking at Kobe like, he's just ripping off Michael, you know, move for move, everything, you know, the, the way he talks in his interviews, all that stuff. And that's what Sierra was practically doing. Mm. But I will give Sierra credit, though. She has kind of evolved into her own. Um, you know, she's had a, you know, a, a really, really good career. She's had multiple hits, you know, multiple platinum albums. And uh, she has, yeah. You know, she's doing really well. Very attractive young lady, you know. Um, you know, she's been in the business for what? It's been, what, about 14, 15 years now since her first solo album came out. Yeah, a long time. You know, and I don't, she's not as hot as she was, you know, when she first, you know, came out, but she's still, she's still pretty, she's still relevant in the world of R&B, you know? Yeah, a bit, yeah. Yeah, so when you, when you, when you brought the, brought this topic to me, um, that was, I think that was literally the first artist that popped into my mind. I mean, there's probably many, many more, but that was the one that for whatever reason, it just immediately popped into my head. There's another one you're going to come up with, so I'm not even going to touch her. (laughs) But, and actually when you, when you said, sorry, my glasses are trashed and they still are, that didn't do any good, but okay. So when you, but when you mentioned Aaliyah, I thought of another one Mm -hmm. that bit completely off of Aaliyah, although I don't think it was her intention. Do you remember Kylie Dean? Kind of, but not really. So, so Kylie Dean was discovered by Timbaland there's the Aaliyah connection. So she comes by this connection, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she for, number one, she has an incredible voice, far better than Sierra ever thought to be. Yeah. Um, she was kind of, but when she showed up, here's, look, here's, here's the uncomfortable thing that, that the white guy is going to tell you. 
just for anybody that's thinking about biting off of Aaliyah, don't. Aaliyah is sacred. Knock it off. Don't yeah. do it. You will fail. We will laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we will laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> we will play you. It's don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't hurt yourself. Yeah. But this was, I agree with you about Sierra. Like that was a major hurdle for me and I never got over it. You did, I did not. Uh, she was just so derivative. Yeah. It's like we already did this and Aaliyah can really sing and you can't. Um, yep. Sorry, but it is what it is. But Kylie Dean could like really, really sing. She's a, she's a, a, she's a, a Caucasian lady from, Ar I believe she's from Arkansas. Hmm. And she put out this tune that was just dripping in Aaliyah um, called Make Me a Song. Um, this was in the early 2000s. Can you make me a song? Like, that, sounds, that sounds very familiar. I think I've heard that before. That, um, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure you've heard it. You of all people would have would have noticed. But I remember it was, it started to get some rotation as a video. And I thought, well, look at this, a white Aaliyah. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Like there wasn't, there was, I imagine in the studio that they probably wanted her to sound like that. Yeah. So they put her through that. Plus she was signed to Beat Club, which is Timbaland's label. Mm -hmm. They probably wanted her to sound like that. And she did. She did it. It was, it was just dead on. I'm like, this sounds like a Lost Aaliyah track because it's that dead on. Mm -hmm. um, but then she put out like, Who Will I Run To? And, um, which was kind of a ballad. And she only got to the point where she was putting singles out. She never got an album out. Make Me A what Song. I'm sorry? What, what was that? Because Make Me A Song didn't do anything. Oh, okay. So just Everybody went, oh, look, Walmart Aaliyah. Yeah. And it was just like, I mean, like I said earlier, like you're going to get played if you try to come out like Aaliyah and she yeah. tried to come out like Aaliyah, she got played. Nobody paid attention. Um, to the point that when she came out with that ballad, Who Can I Run To, which is an underdogs thing, nobody paid attention. Yeah. And her record was dropped and she got dropped and she hasn't been back since. Um, she still, she does some indie things here and there and she's very good. Like if you've, if you've ever heard Who Will I Run To, the woman can flat out sing. She's got a great voice. So the who can I run to? Was that supposed to be like a, um, like a cover of like um, the Jones Girls or Escape? No, it's an original tune. The Underdog. Okay, one. just the same. Just share the same title then. Yeah, yeah, just the same. I mean, that title's on probably five hundred different things. But yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But but no, but that one's just a. It's just a very uh, kind of early two thousands underdog kind of thing. Yeah. All those early two thousand underdog ballads have the exact same sound to them. There, yeah. it's, it's just like another underdog's tune sideways um, <laughs> it's good but it's good though and, she, and again like she sings the fool out of it like she's got real like legitimate r&b chops this girl oh, i'll definitely look her up because I, I i think i may have heard that song before but i'm still kind of cloudy there but I'll... there's no way you haven't but like if you this is what i was going to say so she the record that she did it was called simple girl and the record that she did leaked and I have it because I'm like that because I'm an, I'm an obsessive just like Dre is, so so I got the whole, I found the whole thing I think it was in the days of Napster that I got it, but I got the whole album and the whole thing is just like back to back Aaliyah ripoffs, the mm. whole thing is like 
uh, Simple Girl itself is such an Aaliyah rip, uh, just like that, which is on the backside of that single that I was telling mm -hmm. you about. That's that's an Aaliyah rip. Um, uh, uh, Cross the Line is an Aaliyah rip. Like she could have done these songs so easily. I can only imagine that these songs are probably waiting for the next Aaliyah record. And since obviously she passed away the way she did, maybe these songs were then given to Kylie to do. I don't know. Yeah, and that's very possible. And there was another girl too that just came out within the last like five or six years. Her name was Tink. I believe. Yeah. And I don't know, Timberland, he said he had a prophecy or he had a dream that he was supposed to uh, give uh, one million to Tink and she was going to, she sampled it, but I, I just wasn't, I wasn't impressed though. She's okay. I mean, I, she the when where I heard her was on a remix of uh, of Can't Sleep Love by Pentatonix. Yeah, which is a great song, by the way. And she does really well on it. Like her her verse is good, and she can yeah. sing. And... Yeah, she's a decent singer. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's just hard to when you when when you kind of put somebody out there and you say, hey, they're going to be the next this, or you or even if you don't say that, you know, it's, it's pretty the music. People can tell what you're going for, you know, and and. That can get you in trouble really fast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there've been so many casualties strewn along the road of artists who've been positioned as the next whatever. Yeah. And then they just, then they don't become anything because yeah. of the comparison that they can't possibly shoulder. Yeah. So, so okay, so I got Kylie Dean, so what, that, and I wasn't gonna mention that. I forgot all about her, but what you got <laughs> now, since you mentioned Aaliyah. I got, got another one. Um, Neil So artist from Canada. Glenn, Glenn Lewis. Oh gosh, yes, Glenn Lewis. Glenn Lewis. <laughs> that, I mean, down to the voice, man. Oh, bless his heart. I wonder, like, oh. you, you know, like, he, and he's a good singer. I, he, he, he does Stevie Wonder really, really well. Like, if you were in the car and you put on a Glenn Lewis song and you told somebody, hey, this is Stevie Wonder's new song and they came out with, have, a lot of people might believe it, that that's Stevie, because he sounds so much like him. You know, um, he has a, few songs uh like don't you forget it don't you forget it is the one yeah yeah it's one, not fair back I mean, for more. Was, yeah uh never too late i mean he has a yep. few tracks there's another i forgot the name of it it's on his debut album i think it might be uh this love i believe it is uh, i think D down to the beat the everything i'm just like man this is like stevie this is like stevie wonder like carbon copy just like his son well but the music is all dre and vidal stuff because that's who he was working with yeah, but there was a couple, there's a couple tunes in there, though, where he sounds like down to the tune itself, man, it's Stevie all the way, you know. Um, I believe that. And he, you know, he had, he had some moderate success, you know. He did. Well, you know, don't you forget it, and it's not fair, but he kind of came and went, though. I mean, that was, I think the last I heard of him, he, he, he did a, um, he did a song with, I don't remember, he did a duet with, I forgot her name, but he did a duet on the Barbershop 2 soundtrack back in 2004, I think, 2003, 2004. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that was that was probably the last time I heard of him. Um, I know he's come out with some stuff recently, but or not recently, but you know after that. But I never really did bother to look into it though. Um, but yeah, that, I, I want to say that was around 2002 when he when he kind of hit the scene. Um, I know he had released some 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 singles prior to that, but nothing was ever on the album. It wasn't until 2002 where he actually you know able to put out a solo project. But yeah, that I mean, man. I mean, it's down to the, I mean, it's like, man, this is like, it's, it's like he just, from the, from the moment he was born, he just <laughs> in, a, in a lab and just had to listen to Stevie Wonder tunes, like, like, round the clock. 
Like you're gonna do this when you grow up, and you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna be Stevie Wonder when you grow up. That's that's what it sounds like. I mean, I think it's really it's it's I think it's really cool that he has Stevie as an influence. Most singers do. Like yeah. if oh, you're yeah. a male R and B singer, he's probably gonna be one of your influences. You're gonna get either Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway, or you're gonna get both. Yeah, because even uh, uh, Charlie Wilson, there was a few tunes that he did when he was in the Gap Band that kind of sound kind of kind of Stevie like, but. You know, Charlie was able to kind of carve out his own path, at least, you know. Yeah, you, you, you're loading the gun. You're going to make me shoot it. Oh. <laughs> so, okay, so you mentioned Charlie Wilson. Now, Charlie Wilson has the distinction. I was not going to mention him next, but you brought mm -hmm. it up, and now I have to. I, know, I think I know where you're going with this, too. Um, he has the distinction of having two singers who have attempted to rip him off, not just one. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is Aaron Hall. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think that one's intentional though. I really don't. I think that's just how he sounds. And they actually did a song together on the Boomerang soundtrack. Yeah, everything's going to be all right. Yeah. 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 No, I know. You can't tell them apart. It's no, you good. can't. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like Saida Garrett and Michael Jackson and I can't just stop loving you. Like, yeah. I just can't stop loving you. Like, you don't know where one stops, the other begins. It's weird. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know. There's no way of, there's no way to know. The only thing, the only thing that Aaron doesn't do is the Shamanama Tui Tui stuff. He does, every, <laughs> he, does, he does everything else though. And it's, I think it's just the way his voice is. Even if you listen to his speaking voice, like his, his speaking voice just has that tone. Yeah. So it's kind of it going to come out that way. Having said that, it is what it is. He still yeah. ripped the man off. Yeah. <laughs> ripped him completely off. But yeah. his career, this is what's interesting. Like, so he rips off Charlie Wilson and both of their careers did perfectly fine after that. Mm -hmm. Like Charlie Wilson wasn't hurting at all. No. But this is where it gets interesting. So R. Kelly and the public announcement come out. Give me that honey love, et cetera. That's et cetera. That era, yeah. This one to my favorite girl, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. He was not ripping off Charlie Wilson. He was ripping off Aaron Hall. Yep. Because he wasn't doing Simon I'm a tweet tweet either. But even the look though, he was shaking his head and, yes. and he was wearing the shades and, and all of that stuff. It was the same thing. And the yeah. unfortunate part is because R. Kelly showed up and because R. Kelly is also a songwriter and a producer, yeah. he doesn't need anybody for an outside sound the way that Aaron Hall did. Yeah. Unfortunately, he wiped Aaron Hall off the face of the earth pretty much yeah. as soon as he showed up. Aaron. Yeah. I think we got one more hit out of Aaron Hall uh, with Don't Be Afraid from the Juice soundtrack. Yeah, I miss you too. I miss you. That was, that was 93. Was, that was afterwards? Okay. Yeah, I miss you was a pretty big hit. It was. I remember the tune. I just didn't remember where it was chronologically. Yeah. Hold, hold on one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry about that. So Dre is obviously moved because reasons. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's, it's just interesting to note that Aaron Hall's career, unlike Charlie Wilson's, was not allowed to continue, right? I mean, after I Miss You, what happened? Like, he just vanished off the face of the earth almost instantaneously. And R. Kelly kept going, so. Yeah, I, I think um, Aaron released one more album after that, like in the late 90s. Um, that did nothing with plastic. Nothing. It was already over. We already had R. Kelly. We didn't need him. Yeah. Which is terrible because it should have been the other way around. Like, no, we already have Aaron Hall. We don't need you. Yeah. 
but that's not the way it went. And in retrospect, might have been a good idea to go that way, um, knowing what we know now. But um, but yeah, I just uh, I've I've always thought that that was interesting. Like Aaron Hall ripped off Charlie Wilson, and both of them could coexist. And right. I think that's you know I was about to say it's because they were kind of dealing in different musical landscapes, but they really aren't. Yeah. Interesting too later to discover although we've all known this for a while, um, that R. Kelly was producing a lot of the stuff that Charlie Wilson did in his later career. Oh yeah, R. Kelly, Izzy Brothers, um, yeah, he, yeah, he produced for countless, countless people. I mean, as, as, you know, take all the outside stuff out of, you know, what he's done, you know, outside of music, man, the dude was, the dude was a musical genius and he deserves to be, you know, ranked up there with, you know, the greatest you know, R&B powerhouses of all time. I mean, the dude was that talented. And, yeah, he's sickeningly talented. Just and the hits that he had, and the hits that he wrote for other people, and just longevity of his career. I mean, he, I mean, he was he was pretty relevant for a good 15, 20 years there. You know what I mean? Up until like the late two thousands, where he just where he finally he just kind of fell off. But until he started trying way too hard. Yeah, yeah. Hair braider, like what? What are you doing? Like yeah. He was trying so hard. You could you could almost hear the smell the rubber burning. Like, yeah, what are you doing? What is this nonsense? And nobody yeah, bought it. And you know, it, it happens. You know, to the best of them. You know, um, very few are able to stay in the game longer than three or four years. But he did it for 15, 20 years. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's off to the dude. As far as he me. he did. I, I guess I was just so amazed because he was never one up until that point. Anyway, he was. I mean, obviously he was, you know, his choice of material could get a little sketchy for somebody like me. And that's fine. But yeah. That's, yeah. If that's what you choose to do, that's fine. But he got really desperate on Hair Braider. Like, that's yeah. like, I need a hit and I need it now. It didn't yeah. feel like, it didn't feel like expression at all. He didn't, I don't think he wrote much of it at all, if any of it. Yeah. The track was by the business, so he didn't produce it. Yeah. It just felt completely desperate. I remember seeing yeah. this video and going, why are you doing this? This has been easy. <laughs> and it didn't even work. Like for all that trouble, it, you sold yourself out and it didn't even work. And you know, um, interesting segue, since we're talking about R. Kelly, you know who bit off R. Kelly? Avant. Well, did he though? Go I ahead. I think he make did. Your, make your case. Go ahead. I'm I, I think he did. Um, he, he okay. just, he even kind of looked like the guy, facial features. I mean, every, I don't know, just something about him. I'm just like, I listened to what, Ecstasy. And I'm like, that's something that R. Kelly would have wrote. You know, um, you remember that song, Ecstasy, that he did? Um, yeah, I do. Was, or no, Making Good Love, I think that's the name of the single. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, you're talking the album and that's the single. Yeah, yeah. But Making Good Love, that was around 2000, 2001, 2002. And I'm like, that's R. Kelly. You know, that could have been R. Kelly's song easily. Well, but see, okay, so at that point, there were a bunch that were like that. Like, there was also Myron, who was out there, who was who basically sounded exactly the same. Myron, I don't know what happened to him. You remember Dest, it's gotta be Destiny. Yeah. Guy. I have that yeah. single, it's fire. Um, but, um, but yeah, there was him, there was, who else was there that was like that? There were a bunch of them that were like that. Yeah, but Ivan I was kind of the one that kind of benefited the most, because he actually did, um, he had a pretty decent career there for, for a minute there. Kinda. I mean, he, you know, he had um, what was the other song that he had? Like he oh, had, he, he had, had, he did a lot of stuff with like separated. Was the first yeah, he did stuff with Kiki Watt, and then you know, my uh, first love, the cover, yeah, yeah, which was a remake which of Renee, and, you know, you know, which uh, is good, yeah, Renee and Angela. Yeah, so he, you know, he had a pretty decent career, and then he had um, 
uh, what was the other he had a he had a, of his third album that he did um the I, can, one, I can read your mind this the single yeah 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 yeah. Uh, a, he, um oh dang it i can see the video but i can't don't remember. take your love away yeah there was that what and else that sounds to me that sounded like r kelly to me a bit yeah i see what you mean there yeah, yeah. Just, just a bit like when he would get more kind of over the top yeah yeah and it, it got it got very r kelly um dang it this is bothering me i have to look it up now all right what is that stupid song i can't think of it um avant singer i'm on i'm on wikipedia i'm cheating i don't care uh, i love that his first name is actually myron that's just great um where is it? That stupid song that I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, Don't Take Your Love Away. You mentioned that already. Um, uh, uh, oh, dang it. Where is it? I can't see it. Um, uh, this is going to bother me. Yeah, I, have, I, actually do, I actually have a Myron song on my iPod. Break Your, break your Back. That's what it is. Break Your Back. Okay. It's, you don't remember that one? No, I don't remember that one. No. The video with him and the girl like, playing checkers? Okay, they weren't. But <laughs> Parcheesi, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It wasn't that either. But yeah, it was, it was like hyper lascivious. You know, let me break your back in a good way. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that song before. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one. Good. Be glad. It's not worth hearing. It's not good? No, it's really not good. <laughs> um, his, best, his best thing, I think, was, would have been Lie About Us, which, which is decent, that he mm -hmm. did with Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycat Dolls. That's decent. Um, there's another one that wasn't a single that I really liked. It was off the director record called Mr. Dream, which I really liked. He did that mm. with Dark Child, and that's good. Yeah. Um, and there were, there were a, a couple of others, too. I'm looking. The Kiss Goodbye was really good. So we had, I mean, he had stuff. But it was like, my main issue with him was like, he was constantly claiming to make real music. But he really wasn't. No, he would turn around and do another of his songs sideways and call it a separate song when it really wasn't. Yeah. He was just, he has, he's written maybe five songs and then done permutations of those five songs for the entirety of his career. Um, but that was, that, it was more that than anything. But now that you've, you've said a couple of things now about, about the whole R. Kelly thing, and I, I kind of get it now. Yeah. I can, I can see how you could get there. It just goes to show, man, that because you can trace it all the way, like you say, you can trace it all the way back to Stevie Wonder. You know, Charlie Wilson kind of bit off Stevie, and then, you know, uh, Aaron Hall bit off of uh, Charlie, and then R. Kelly bit off of, you know, and so forth and so forth. So it just goes to show you the kind of influence that that man had, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, because it's really all sourced from, excuse me, it's really all sourced from, uh, from, from Stevie. Yeah. That, that, that part of it, anyway, that branch. Yeah. So I have another one that has been getting on my nerves for decades. All right. And I've been waiting to say this. And darn it, I'm going to say it now. And you're going to like it. Um, so back in 1974, mm -hmm. an artist surfaced named Michael Bolatin. Michael Bolatin. Yeah. He was a, he, he was kind of positioned as like a folk, folk rock artist kind of thing. Okay. Um, he recorded for RCA. He released a couple of records, the first of which is actually on the site because the cover is just magnificent. So I put it on the site. I have yet to hear the record. And that's not true. I've heard pieces of the record and it's absolutely <laughs> terrible. YouTube is great for that. But the cover is amazing. 
Um, there are a few things like that on the site where the cover is just so great I couldn't ignore it. And I spent the five bucks and got the album just to scan it and put it on the site because it's incredible. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It just screams 70s. It's the most amazing cover and it makes no sense based on the music on the record. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just, the, you have to see, it's the coolest cover. Um, but anyway, so he did two records for RCA. Neither of them did anything. He got dropped. La la la. It happens. Um, I'm trying really hard to get the chronology right. Um, so he, at some point, I think in the late 70s, he hooked up with a guy named Bob Kulik, who okay. was, who used to play guitar, at least for a couple seconds, he played guitar with Kiss. Okay. Uh, and they formed a hard rock band called Blackjack. At which, at which point Michael Bolton changed his name to the more familiar Michael Bolton. Okay, okay, I got you. He just he took away some of the letters because hard to pronounce. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he started doing like arena hard rock journey kind of stuff. Yeah, journey. Um, I like journey. <laughs> dude. <laughs> but yeah, this they... was this was like journey without the songs. Okay. And it died after one record. It, I think it was just one record. It died. Um, so then he somehow ended up with a contract on Columbia. I think it, I think Blackjack may have been on Columbia too. And he released a couple of records, Michael Bolton. And I don't know why I remember this, Michael Bolton, everybody's crazy. Both of which were kind of like the same thing, kind of like journey on acid. Mm. Um, and neither of them did anything cause we already had journey. We don't really need you. Um, <laughs> or we didn't. Um, and he sang in a very hard rock style, you know, like you would and, Mm -hmm. um, but none of those records did anything. But the interesting thing is that on the side, he was writing songs that were completely different. Um, he wrote, um, How Am I Supposed to Live Without You, which Laura Branigan first did. Um, and she did a very nice version of it. She took it to, uh, I think it was like number 12 on the pop charts or something. So it did pretty well. Mm -hmm. As well as a Laura well Branigan tune was going to do at that point, it did well. And she sang it well, and it's, it's good. It's got a good lyric. It's a good story. Um, it's an unusual story and a really good one. It's a good song. Um, he would eventually cover it a few years later and, and take it all the way to number one. He has the definitive version of it. Yeah. Um, of course, we know that now. Um, but at any rate, somewhere in, in some time, at some point in 1986, while all of this is happening and he's just not finding success as a solo act and writing songs on the side for other artists. Uh, uh, I found someone, which he also wrote and produced for Cher um, and a couple of other things too. He's a vampire. What's that? She's, she's a vampire. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know how she does it. I don't either. That's, we've talked about this before. At the end of the world, there will be cockroaches and Cher and impact wrestling. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> That's the other life. But anyway, so in 1986, he gets a call. He was doing sessions too at this point, vocal sessions, okay. background vocal sessions, it's as, long, as well as writing for, uh, for other artists. I'm getting somewhere, I promise. Um, <laughs> so he does it because this is a long story. There's no way to shorten it up. So James Ingram was recording this album called Never Felt So Good. Mm -hmm. And he went in and did backgrounds on a song called Red Hot Lover, which was the whole album was co-produced by Keith Diamond. Um, Keith Diamond, you would know from Caribbean Queen, No More Love on the Run for Billy Ocean. Yeah. 
yeah. and suddenly for Billy Ocean, the song, not the album, et cetera, et cetera. Although I think most of the record is Keith Diamond, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Trinidadian uh, producer, very, very yeah. successful. Um, and he co-wrote all the songs with James on, on this record. Um, but at any rate, there's a song in the album called Red Hot Lover. I'm sure you can imagine what that must sound like, just with that title. Uh, James sang, uh, uh, Michael Bolton sang backgrounds on it. I find it rather interesting then that just a couple of couple short years later, <laughs> actually it might've just been a year later if I'm not mistaken. Let me, let me verify here. All right. It would have been cause it matters. Uh, let's see. So um, let me look the list of things. Um, uh, my eyeballs. Yes. Okay. So I was right. So a year later, he gets this bright idea that he's going to not make hard rock anymore, that he's going to make housewife pop. Hmm. And so he start, he goes into the studio with the aforementioned Keith Diamond and creates an album called The Hunger. The Hunger had That's What Love Is All About on it. Uh, it had that really wretched Otis Redding cover on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, um, that's what love is all about. Is equally ridiculous. It's just that he's responsible for writing it. Um, but at any rate, it was like that's his style changed on that record, and that record met with some success, which then brought us Soul Provider, Time, Love, and Tenderness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the the yeah. housewife pablum with which we are now completely familiar. Um, but uh, but at any rate, the interesting thing to note is that when he did. The hunger, and from there forward, all of a sudden his voice sounded different. <laughs> all of a sudden he was biting off of James Ingram. He took James' whole thing, the squalling, <laughs> like he took the whole, <laughs> you know he took it, don't even deny it. Yeah. The whole thing, like some of the tone, because James had a really gruff tone. Whenever know? I hear uh, uh, Garden of Love, uh, you know, the Quincy Jones joint, I, I, I always- Oh, hear, Secret Garden, yeah. Secret Garden, my bad. I always hear the, the, yeah, the James Ingram when he- when Yeah, he was, that, that's what I did by mistake. I didn't realize I just did that, but that's- <laughs> <laughs> But he did it on everything. And it was, from him, it made sense because it was yeah. his thing. It's a trademark, yeah, yeah. It's a trademark. Nobody else did it other than, I mean, David Ruffin kind of did it, but he did it a little differently. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, Ollie Woodson from The Temptations used to do it. Um, uh, he did it on Treat Her Like a Lady. You know, the beginning of Treat Her Like a Lady has that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but still, it was kind of, it was kind of just like the way he did it. But Michael Bolt was biting off of James Ingram, like bit his whole thing, because James Ingram was not, he was known on top of doing, you know, R and B. He was not afraid to sell out and do. And uh, you do, do what you got to do, man. Yeah, no, no, you do. No, no real shade there. But like, he was not afraid of doing pop songs. Yeah. Um, you know, duets with Linda Ronstadt and Patty Austin, et cetera, et cetera. Which all most of those tunes are basically just pop tunes. Um, yeah. It's just what they were. But Michael Bolt was mining the exact same territory with the exact same voice mm -hmm. and the exact same kind of production. Like he just took <laughs> his whole thing. And if you if if we remember, like after '87, 
James didn't do too much after that, certainly not on the pop charts anyway. Oh, he didn't. Um, he did kind of switch course on the next record, as I recall, because he started working with Gerald Levert a bit and kind of tried to go more R&B to kind of in New Jack Swing to kind of get away from what the biter was doing. <laughs> yeah. That's and unfortunate because somebody can do that to you, man. They can hijack your career and make you look bad or, you know, it happens. But that's exactly what he did. He took his, he took his whole, Michael Bolton took James Ingram's whole thing, like all of it. I have to go back and listen to some of the, I'm, you know, I don't, obviously I don't listen to a lot of Michael Bolton, but I'm going to have to go back and really look at that because that's a, yeah. It's bizarre. Like the phrasing, the gruffness of the voice, it's all the same. He just took the whole thing. I mean, it wouldn't be a stretch to hear James Ingram singing, singing Soul Provider. Yeah. It wouldn't be that hard. It's the, it's, it's the stuff he was doing anyway. Yeah. He just took his whole thing. Oh, that annoyed me. As soon as I realized it was happening, which was when Soul Provider came out, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. And he got away with it. I didn't think he'd get away with it as cleanly as he did, but he got away with it clean. And before we knew it, James Ingram had become Aaron Hall. Yeah. Like, not totally not fair. Just, yeah. just not fair. So anyway, one. I've ranted enough. What's your, you got another one? Yeah, I got, okay, I got one. I do too. I got another one too. Club Nouveau. <laughs> Who? Um, Club, I can't, I can't mispronounce the name. Club Nouveau. Yeah. They ripped off Timex Social. Like, I think it was the same producer. Well. Same producer or the same member? Same producer. So, yeah, it's the, they it's, can, they, that doesn't it's count the though, same thing. It's the same thing. It is the exact same thing. I mean, Dominic Social, they had what, Rumors, I think it was. And, you yeah, know. Rumors. And then literally like a year later, Josie hits the scene. And you're like, but who is this again? Yeah. But it was, but it's the same thing. Like, it's, it's just, um, uh, was it Jay? Jay Foster or something like that? Or uh, Denzel, no, Denzel Foster, Thomas yeah. McElroy, and Jay it's going to bother me. Were they, were they in Timex Social or were they just producers? No, they were in it, I think. I'm looking it up now because I have to know. Yeah, Denzel Foster, Thomas McElroy, Jay King. I couldn't think of his name. Okay. It was driving me nuts. And then Samuel Prater was the, was the lead singer. You know, it's funny. My dad actually met a couple of them or he knew a couple of them because at the time when they were big, my dad was in the army and we were stationed. I was probably like two or three at the time, but uh, we were stationed up there in Monterey. And, you know, it's not too far from Sacramento. I think that's where they were based out over. That's where the um, members of the group came from. Yeah, Berkeley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm cheating. Yeah, and when I, when I go back and listen to, the, listen to the stuff, I'm just like, they're like the same group. Like, I can't tell them apart. You know, obviously, Club Nouveau had a little more success. They had a little, you know, had more hits. Like, you had Lean On Me. Um, yeah, Why You Treat Me So Bad, Situation Number 9, and Heavy On My Mind, and stuff like that. But it's just like, man, they're, they're literally, it's like the same group. They just, they just got rid of some members on this, uh, in this group and they replaced them and it just kept on chugging along. It's kind of what happened. I mean, if you, I'm looking at the lineup now of Timex Social Club. Yeah. Um, the only member that's the same is Samuel Prater. Jay was the head of the record label at that point. Okay. Jay All King right. was the head of the record label at that point. Yeah. Foster and McElroy were not there. Not oh, they weren't dead. So they weren't there for Timex then? No, not for Timex, no. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I can't tell the singers apart. I can't tell anything apart. The production is the exact same. It is. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, like, how did they do that? Like, that's just ridiculous. Well, because like, it was like Jay, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like Jay King basically ended one and started the other. Yeah. You know, because at least like, you know, when you go back 
few years later, when Teddy Riley just been a guy and he started Black Street, I mean, at least you can tell a difference, at least. They were completely different, yeah. Yeah, you could, you, I mean, you can't tell a difference at all with these two. I mean, it was just literally, like, as a kid, I used to get them mixed up whenever I listened to some songs. I'd be like, well, I thought this was, wait a minute, this is, you know. And I kind of had the same thing for a while there when I was younger, like, Ready for the World and... Um, um, Prince? For, for some Ds. I mean, I couldn't tell them apart for the longest time. Like, well... Little, I was a little kid. No. I, I thought, for, for the longest time, I thought Love is Houses by Ready for the World. I, I literally thought that when I was a kid. Was Did like, you? What do you say? Did you? Yeah, when I was younger. Yeah. But, uh... Okay. okay. You, when you were a kid. I got it. I'll give you a kid. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, but, 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 Club, but Club Duval, man, I'm just like, man, this is like... I'm not saying that you know, they weren't talented, but man, it just literally just like lifted what somebody else had started. And it just, I don't know, it was just, the whole thing was just kind of weird. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that in music before. Like, I don't believe I've ever heard, seen that. Um, I know they tried that with um, um, Maurice Lucas with uh, New Edition when he, when he started New Kids on the Block. I mean, there was kind of a similar thing. Oh, Maurice Starr, yeah. yeah Maurice Starr. But even then, you can kind of tell a difference. There was, there was a difference there, but. Yeah, but these two, man, they were just like, literally identical, the singing style, the production, everything. We seem to well, I mean, like, I mean, with new, it's good, it's interesting that you brought that up because, yeah. like, you know, new kids was basically revenge. Yeah, and you, and he actually sold more of new kids on the block, you know. Well, th- I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a white guy. I can be real about it. Like, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. He could do more because of this. Yeah, pretty much. You know, <laughs> but and I mean, I mean, the major difference between those two groups is that one of them had a distinctive lead singer and the other did not. Yeah. Obviously, New Edition had Ralph Tresvant. Yeah. And then later on, you know, Gil, Johnny Gill. And Johnny Gill later. But, 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 but even when Johnny Gill showed up, he was clearly second fiddle and Ralph was the lead singer. Yeah. Um, like clearly. Right. But I mean, there, there are a few more. I'll go this far. There are a few more distinctive voices in music than Ralph Tresvant. Yeah. yeah. He's just got such a unique voice and knows exactly how to use it. And interesting to note that he was able to continue to work after, after Candy Girl when his voice changed. Um, yeah, I did. Like completely changed. He was up there in, you know, Michael Jackson child territory with Candy Girl. Well, yeah. And he, impossible and, and, you know, to sing. You know, and like I said, when they started out, they were, what, 13, 14 years old? Yeah. You're right in the middle of puberty, puberty so your voice is going to change drastically, you know? And they yeah, because still- you can, and you, and you, where you really hear it is on um, Lost in Love. Yeah. You hear him right in the middle, kind of trying to figure out what it yeah. is. And I remember the first time I heard that song, I'm like, what happened to Ralph? And I was just a kid at that point myself. And you know who else that happened to? Um, if, if you listen to Juan A. Morris on, on Boyz II Men's first album, his voice sounds completely different. And then you go, then you jump into his second album, he sounds completely different. Like his voice is more mature. Like you can hear him in his first album and his voice still hasn't, it's like his voice still hasn't fully developed yet. Go, go listen to like End of the Road or It's a Hard to Under, get. You yes. can hear it on Under Pressure. Like that's yeah. really. Yeah. And then you go listen to like Mended Knee or, you know, I'll Make Love to You. And you can clearly hear that his voice is really matured and, you know, he had finally figured it out by then. Yeah, there's a depth to it that wasn't there before. I agree right. completely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, that you mentioned uh, New Edition and New Kids on the Block. Although in that particular, what makes that different is that it was, act- that was basically just 
Maury Starr mm-hmm. imposing that sound on a group of white kids. And so what, ha- what happened with Maurice Starr with a new edition? Um, like he worked on the first album and that was it. It was a money issue. Okay. Yeah. It was purely a money issue. He basically tried to, he basically tried to nail them into contracts and they, the parents of the, the parents of the, the kids in, at the time, the kids in new edition were not willing to do it. Yeah. And he just got forced out. And then, um, I think it was, yeah, Jump and Shoot, because we know it wasn't MCA now, but Jump and yeah. Shoot, thank you, miniseries, but <laughs> uh, Jump and Shoot got involved, I think, bought them out of that deal. Yeah, and they ripped them off too. And basically turned them into indentured servants, basically turned them into indentured servants yeah. and signed them directly, and then Jump and Shoot signed to MCA. Yeah, because they, yeah, they thought they were under MCA for the longest time. Yeah. They've never been done right, never, never once. Yeah. Music business, man. Yeah, and then they went to Bad Boy, and that went even worse. <laughs> because basically, any artist that goes to Bad Boy is just kind of asking for it. Um, yeah. Ask One Twelve. I'm sure they'd tell you that same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's the, the New Kids on the Block and, and New Edition are there. It's an interesting comparison because again, it's kind of just what you said. Like they took New Edition's whole thing. Only they had Maurice the entire time until yeah. Face the Music, I think it was. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's the one where they broke off and used um, um, uh, Silvers, Leon Silvers and Teddy Riley and a couple of others to kind of make yeah. it a record. But up until that point, almost all the songs were, were Maurice stars. It was basically yeah. the new edition sound imposed on a bunch of white guys. Yeah. None of whom had a distinctive voice. So it's like if you don't have if you don't have Ralph Tresvant, it sh- this shouldn't have worked. But then there was this, and that's yeah. ultimately what made it work because it was a yeah. white face. It worked a whole lot better, and gosh, yeah. he made that like a bandit. Yeah. So his I mean, it's genius marketing. I mean, it's smart to do what what he did. You know, dude, he had their faces in marbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had their faces in marbles. Like that's just madness. They had a cartoon too, I believe. When I was a little kid, I, if I can recall, there was a cartoon. Oh, they did. Yeah, there was a cartoon. I remember um, my girlfriend at the time. Um, this would have been, I think, 1990. Mm-hmm. Jump up on the yeah. scene with the late Uh But my girlfriend, I had, you have to, whenever you say that, you have to do that. Uh, it's a law. And, uh, but my girlfriend decided that she wanted to go see the new kids on the block. I remember Dino was opening. Remember Dino, don't you? Yeah. And yeah, basically that was my reaction too. But she dragged me uh, to a venue that no longer exists. And um, but we went inside, and I have never seen that many screaming girls in all my life. Yeah. Um, it was impossible to hear anything because no one would shut up. Um, I, it's like I could see figures on the stage, but we couldn't hear them at all. Yeah. It was, th- that's how loud it was. Like I, the whole time I was like this, like the whole time. And just like, it just ill and my girlfriend, like you owe me so big for this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean just to draw that, huh? <laughs> yeah, basically you dragged me here. So you owe me. Cause I didn't, no <laughs> one knew it was going to be that bad, but we stayed yeah. the whole time and gosh, it was bad. Uh, the only thing worse than that was the MC Hammer concert we went to. I went to a couple of years after. My that. very first concert was MC Hammer concert, Tilly Gilator back in 92. 
That's the tour I saw with Oaktown 357. Yeah. But when I went, though, uh, Boys to Men opened for him. No. So it was, so mine was yeah. Oaktown 357, which yeah, I remember was nothing. Uh, Boys to Men, Jodeci. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, TL and TLC opened, was there too. TLC was there at yours? Because they mm -hmm. weren't there at mine. Yeah. Interesting. But that's a huge lineup, though, man. When you get Boys to Men and Jodeci and TLC opening for you, I mean, those three groups right there in their own right were huge. No, they were. But, like, the problem with it is that he was just starting to go like that. Well, I think, okay, so 92, um, he was still selling a lot of records. I think, he's, I think he sold, like, 5 million copies off that, off that album, you know, and that's coming off of Can't Touch This, which is, like, a year prior to that. So he was still doing, like, really, really good. But the financial problems were probably kicking in by then, though. No. It just, I remember, and it, I'm sure you saw the same thing too, mm -hmm. but like the opening acts came up. We were a little late for Oaktown 357. Oh, darn. Which is good. Um, <laughs> but the, but Boys to Men and Jodeci, it was Boys to Men first and then Jodeci. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was like, that. I was good with that because I oh, loved yeah. Boys to Men, loved Jodeci even more. Yeah. This is, this is cool. We're fine here. And I had a bunch of friends with me. Yeah. Um, so, but when Jodeci was done, there was an intermission. Mm -hmm. And during this intermission, my friend turns to me and he goes, if he sings Adam's Groove, I'm leaving. Oh, Adam's, I remember, I remember Adam, he said that. Adam's too legit. Adam's yeah. No, we were fine with everything else. But Ad, he said, if he does Adam's Groove, I'm telling you, I'm leaving. Did he? So, but he, hold, I'll tell you. So he leaves, so the, obviously, to, uh, the Jodeci leaves the stage and all of a sudden within maybe 30 seconds or so, you see the stage hands coming out because it wasn't loud enough already. You mm -hmm. see them coming out with more speakers mm -hmm. to position them and plug them in. There must've been like another 15 of those bad boys that came out. Mm -hmm. I know we're diverging guys, have mercy on us, we do this. Um, and then maybe 15 minutes after that, he descends from this thing. I forget what it was. You'll probably remember because it would have been the same for you. You would have seen the yeah. same sequence. But it was so loud. Um, and I remember he was sweating within the first five minutes. Oh, yeah. Hammer, look, you know, we give Hammer a lot of crap, but he was, he was a good uh, showman, like showmanship. He, he was very good. You know, he was a good, good performer, not so much a good rapper, but he knew how to put on a performance, though. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he was a good entertainer. Entertaining was what he did. It wasn't right. so much anything else as it was just entertaining. Yeah. And, he, and it was, like, it worked to that end. And then mm -hmm. I think it was maybe like three or four songs in. We weren't really feeling Hammer. That's not really why we went. We were there yeah. for Jodeci and Boys to Yeah. Me. See, I mean, I was eight at the time, so I was good with Hammer because, you know, you didn't really know what good music was at eight. You know what I mean? So He was aimed at you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was 18. He wasn't aimed at me. Yeah, yeah. I would have <laughs> Like, I would have felt the same way at 18. If I would have saw Hammer when I was 18, I'd have been like, you know, what the hell? What is this, you know? Yeah, because he got up and there was like five of us together. and We were all looking at each other like, yeah. how much of this are we going to put up with? Because I, rem I remember I had a, a date when I was in, I think it was 16, and went to go see Nelly, and I just was like, oh, gosh. You have my sympathies. I mean, he makes, uh, you know, his music is catchy, and you know, it does well, but I just, I just couldn't. I, I was still coming off my DMX, you know, phase and, you know, all that stuff, you know. So right. I, Nelly and everything. So Nelly has nothing to do with DMX. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. Exactly. But like, okay, so but like four songs in, all of a sudden we start to hear the beat, <clears throat> and Shane, who was with me, looks at me and he goes, 
that's my cue. And he turns to go and he starts walking out. And I looked over at Gerber, who was with me, who was a female friend of mine, like, mm -hmm. Jane is out. I'm kind of over this. What do y'all think? And like everybody else was like, let's go. And so we all <laughs> took off. We left. We didn't, we did not stay for Adam's group. Yeah. <laughs> Shane was a man of his word and he got us out of there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, hammer wasn't worth it, but everybody yeah. else was. Well, okay, maybe oh, yeah. not like down three five seven, but boys to men and Jodeci were fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was all about that. You could hear it, and they sounded great, and yeah, I was I was totally fine with that. Yeah.